0: I was reflecting back on Taylor's, Pastor Taylor's message from last week. And uh, I was thinking, oh, man, that was a challenging word. That was a challenging word. And, uh, and I, I started looking at my life, and I was like, oh, man, there's a few things that I need to make some adjustments on. And uh, that's a real humbling thing to do when that's your son talking to you. And um, it's not easy. And I know that it wasn't easy for some of you as well. Uh, sometimes when, our, when a sermon uh, crawls into our space or into our world or kind of invades our, our minds, our hearts, sometimes our natural tendency is to kick ourselves and say, yeah, well, I really do. I do really fail at this, don't I? I'm a bad dad or I'm a bad husband or I'm a bad Christian or I'm a bad this or that. Don't let that happen. Allow conviction to come when you feel something like that. Allow it to be conviction. Usually when conviction comes, there's a focus. Conviction will always give you a focus. And so there was a lot of things said in that sermon there that were really challenging. But when you get conviction, you'll know that it's it's conviction because there's a dialed in focus. I'm going to do this from now on. That's conviction. Shame says, I've done this wrong for so long. There's really no hope for me, right? That's shame. But conviction says, you know what? I like that. I'm going to add that to my life. I'm going to make that shift in my life. Because in Christ Jesus, there is therefore no condemnation, Romans tells us. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. No, there is no condemnation, but there's plenty of conviction, right? Right? Because we got stuff to do. We got stuff to change. We got some things to adjust, and we want to grow and we want to produce fruit for God's kingdom. Amen? And uh, I was thinking back um, when I first became a Christian, uh, how excited I was to have peace with God and to know that God loved me. It was a good feeling. And my life was transformed, I was changed. And the interesting thing about that was that as I received that knowledge that God loved me, that my sins were forgiven, there was like this aha moment that I had. Some people would call it being born again, or being a, uh, born anew, or reborn, and that's what happened to me. That day, when I was born again, when I became new to Christ, when I became aware Okay, this is what I've been searching for. All of a sudden, something came alive inside of me, and it was amazing. And, uh, but the interesting thing is, when I came to the realization that this was real, I dedicated my whole life to it, okay? We're in this new series called Me and My House, It comes from Joshua 24. In fact, let's read it. If you've got a Bible, just open up your Bible to Joshua 24. I don't have it for the screen, so those of you that don't have Bibles um, or phone or some way to look it up, you can just listen. In uh, Joshua 24, it says, Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. And serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your sights to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers that your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, this is Joshua saying, as for me and my house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So this was a commitment that I was making when I realized this is it. I'm going to change my friends. And I went up to Tina, who was my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife of 41 years. Best decision I ever did make. Best decision she ever made. Yeah. Why did you laugh when I said that? <laughs> uh, no, but it was, it was a decision that I had made. I was drawing a line in the sand. And for some of you, When you think of me and my house, you think, well, I'm not married. I'm not married and with three kids, or my kids are grown and I'm gone, and it's just me by myself. As for you and the influential role that you play in other people's lives, as for you and your business, as for you and your friends, as for you and your empty nest spouse, as for you and your great-grandkids, Take that posture. Take that posture. And as you take that posture, man, things are going to open up for you like never before. So anyway, so back to those early days when I made this commitment that had the spirit of, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Um, I noticed some things that right away I felt this lifting of guilt off my shoulders because I was living in such a way that wasn't God-centered. But it was full of fear and anxiety. I was searching for something. And uh, the household that I grew up in was very disrupted with mental illness and with dysfunction. And most of the people that I was surrounded by had the same problems. I didn't have in my purview a marriage to look at and say, when I get older, I want to have a marriage like that. I didn't have that. And so I didn't have anybody inspiring me in the things of God or even in the things of relationships. I just had pretty much dysfunction a lot, especially in my teenage years. And uh, so when I came to the Lord, I mean, I was like, oh, this big weight came off my shoulders. And, and uh, I had done so much searching. I had been looking for Something. And that YouTube song song that says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, it's an iconic song, was just kind of ringing in my ears all the time. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Because I used to do all kinds of crazy stuff. I had a wild story. And it was a wild story of searching. I loved to travel. I loved to hike. I loved to be in the outdoors. I used to ride freight trains from Skycomish over to Wenatchee just for the fun of it. It was an adventure. I just wanted a thrill of adventure. I would hike up into alpine lakes and camp overnight, or go up into the snow and make igloos and sleep in them, and just did all kinds of just fun, random things that I'd ah, let's try that. Let's go do that. Let's go for a wheeling. Let's go, let's go adventuring. And I would hitchhike all around the country, and went, I hitchhiked down to Mexico one time, and got drunk and passed out, and it was a mess. Because I was searching for something. Got p- picked up by the police in Mexico. Scary thing. Until I finally coughed up $12 and they let me go. <laughs> I was lost. I was lost. Yeah. Some of you can relate to that. Because we've all had our periods of being lost. Of some, in some way or another. But I was lost. And so when I felt that God loved me. And that I was forgiven. It was like this big weight. So I realized one thing, though, that was interesting is even though I joined a church, it was a small church at the time, only about 60 people, but I started noticing something, that the message that was being communicated by the parents and the family and the church and the pastor from the pulpit and stuff like that, was a message that wasn't translating to the teenagers. It wasn't connecting. And neither were their lives. Their lives were kind of boring. Because it seemed like church was the only thing they did. They went to church. They read the Bible. They memorized the Bible. They did all kinds of things. It just wasn't an interesting story for kids. They just weren't interested in it. It was kind of a boring thing. You know, they, they were very moral. They didn't do the bad stuff. But it was just kind of boring. It just wasn't alive. It wasn't adventurous. There wasn't nothing there, it felt like. And so even though there was this eternal life component, there was this kind of like flat-lined, like, is this it? You mean, getting a nice shirt and a tie and a coat, that's it? Going to baby showers? Eating ice cream after church, that's it. Going out to dinner on the weekends, that's all there is. Where's the adventure? Where's the life? Where's the thrill? Where's the risk? Where's the wheres the punch? And I remember sitting in kind of a group therapy group, and the facilitator was a Christian guy, a really strong Christian, and everybody there was Christians in the, in the room, or most people anyway. And... Tina and I had just given our lives to Jesus and we were working things out. And so we were going to this because there was a heavy discipleship component to this. And I remember the guy that was leading the group, he says, you guys need to start watching Steve and Tina because they have a more adventurous life than all you. And I thought, what? We're the sinners. I mean, we were just like having keggers in the woods this months ago, right? And it's like, just, what's the deal? And I learned as time went on, I realized that sometimes in the Christian life, sometimes our story can lose its punch because there's no sense of adventure. There's no sense of risk-taking. There's no challenging times. There's no endurance that is needed. There is, there is no sense of purpose sometimes or vision. And so, when we look at the message that Taylor showed last week about are being there for our families and raising up our kids and the way they should go and and protecting their innocence and all those kinds of things and being an example for them. Part of being an example for them is to live a better story. Live a better story. And so even though I felt like I finally found what I was looking for in Jesus, there was this thing that I had in my possession was this sense of adventure. And I think it came out of just a hunger for wanting to connect with God. I was searching. And in that searching, I tried so many things. When I was a kid, when I was five years old, I remember rolling little logs into the water at our cabin on Woodby Island and riding, straddling those logs and just letting the waves run me back into the shore. As I got older, I remember strapping logs together to make rafts, and we, I would pretend like I was Huck Finn or Tom Sawyer and on this adventure, and I'm going to go out, and I'm going to sail across t- to Camano Island. And I would get out about 12 feet, and the waves would bring me back in again. And so my, my trips were always short-lived. But it was still this sense of adventure, and I was looking. I was looking to find something, and I knew that there was something. You know, there are studies that show that with children, one of the best ways to connect them to spiritual things is to let them experience what it's like to lay on a beach and allow the waves to to lap up on their legs or to sit in a swing and pick up the rhythm and the vibration of the swing. It begins to open them up. It's kind of like worship does for us in the morning when we are singing a song, it's not too long before all of our hearts are beating at the same rhythm. Because there's something spiritual going on that goes beyond the cognitive, it's picked up in the spirit. And so that was, that was something that was happening to me. I was connecting, and I knew that there was something more. I would lay out on the beach and look up at the sky, and I'd see the stars, and I'd go, There's something more. And so I wanted to live a life that was adventurous. I wanted to live a life that took risks. I wanted to experience some some things that got me away from the life at home. So I did all kinds of adventurous things. So, But then when I became a Christian, I realized that my sense of adventure, my desire to do something was something that was valuable. Ever since that guy told me that, he said, Do you guys need to be, get a story like Stephen Tina? He didn't mean go out and do the crazy things that we did as far as the, the negative things or the sinful things. He was saying live life. Live life. Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans? In Romans chapter 12, one of the first verses I learned when I became a Christian, starting with verse 2, it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You know, some of us don't have a very good story. And it's not very attractive to our kids or to our grandkids. Because we've never experienced the transformation. This scripture says that let God transform you into a new person. I I love this song that we were singing. You're doing a new thing. You're doing a new thing. When God transforms you, it means move beyond the form that you currently have. It doesn't mean it was an event when you gave your life to Jesus. That began the transformation process. But Paul tells us that we need to be uh, working out our salvation all the time. We're constantly working on ourselves and we're constantly allowing God's transformation to come. So, transformation helps you have. A better story. Some of us need to allow God to renew our mind, to renew our thing. Some of us are just way too short with people. Some of us are too angry all the time or prideful or have to be right or we got to confront somebody. We got we to uh, rip them a new one every time we get cut off by another car or something along those lines. And we, we're all upset, riled up because we haven't allowed God to transform our minds and our hearts and our patience if we want a better story, we've got to let God transform us. and look at Luke chapter 9 and verse 62. And Jesus said, that "If anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God, there was something that came up in my mind when I first became a Christian, is, I need to commit to this thing. I'm either in or I'm out. I'm all the way in or I'm all the way out. And I remember when we, when we decided to get married, Tina and I decided to get married, it was a big in or out type thing. Because it was like, how are we going to do this wedding? Right? We had to make some tough choices. You had to make some tough choices. Because one of the things that happened was, I gave my heart to Jesus and it took, there was about six months there where Tina was like, mm, I'm not so sure about this. These are weird people. And I'm not sure if I want to be associated with weird people. I mean, they got their hands flapping around in the air. They get all the weird stuff going on. But it was, she wasn't raised up into things like I was. I went to Catholic church and things like that. So I had awareness of God and a I, I, I reverence for God in a sense. But I didn't understand how salvation worked. I didn't know how God forgave us. All that. And all I knew is that there was a really ugly statue inside the church with blood on it. And I didn't like it. Okay. <laughs> but I had an awareness of God. So I didn't like it when people use God's name in vain. And it just bothered me. But Tina didn't have any of that. And so it took a while, and so I remember coming to her after this change happened to me, and I said, hey, look, I'm going this way, and if you want to go this way, that's great, but if you don't, we got to part ways. And I mean, that's pretty raw and hard, right? Really difficult to stomach, and I don't know if my approach was good or not, but she said, well, I'll go to church with you. Went to church. She went to church. She came in and sat through the whole service, and people lifting their hands in worship, and there was some preaching going on, and an altar call. She didn't raise her hand. I was really disappointed. As soon as it broke, she looks at me, and she says, get me out of here right now. Get me out of here right now. And uh, so I got her out of there right then, and um, But something happened. Somebody reached out to her and gave her a Bible. So she came back to church to see what it was like to use a Bible in church. And uh, it had her name on it and everything. It changed her life. And it opened her up to a different story. And all of a sudden, now things are new. But we had to commit. I was willing to risk everything. Risk my girlfriend. Risk my friends. I lost all my friends, all of them, because I was, I was determined, I'm going after this 100%. I wanted God to transform me. I started reading books, started reading scripture, started going to group meetings and Bible studies and small groups and things like that. I started volunteering, started doing all the things I could because I wanted God to transform me. So I committed. John 3, 16, we know this scripture. It says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. You know, the the thing that I got from that was that in my story, God loves me. He loves me. And I always thought God was mad at me. I always thought God was postured against me. But you know what? Love has been a part of my new story. But I still needed a better story. You see, we see the idea of story. We think of the word story, and we think of the word history. His story. And when it comes to your story, it's finding out where you fit in his story. And then adding your story to his story. Not, not his story to your story, but your story to his story and become a part of his story. And that's how you get in touch with something that's eternal, something that goes on forever. Because it, we're all going to die at some point. But you know what? When you contribute something to his story, your fruit will last for eternity. It will all, you may not know what it is, and I don't know what it's like when we get to heaven. I don't know if we're going to be able to see all the things that that song, Thank You, Jesus, uh, sh- talks about. But I'm telling you this right now. That there is going to be a piece of eternity in a lot of people's lives because of some of you. Because you have taken the time to allow his story to be your story. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse uh, 9, it says this As Jesus was walking along, he saw a, a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. He said, Follow me and be my disciples. Be, and uh, Jesus said to him, uh, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. I got lost there. So as Jesus was walking along, he saw, I mean, let's start all over. Let's go all the way to the back. live stream. Sorry about that. You weren't looking at your Bibles anyway, so please <laughs> get your Bibles out. Anyway, all right. So as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew was invited, invited Jesus and his disciples home uh, for, as, as dinner guests. Along with many tax collectors and other disreputable disre, uh, sinners. Uh, but the Pharisees saw this and they asked, the Pharisees saw this and asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? You know, that's not a good thing to say these days. Please don't do that. You might get canceled. Uh, verse 12 <laughs> Jesus heard this and said, Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not to offer sacrifices. For I have come not to call those who think themselves as righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. Why do I bring up this scripture? I bring up this scripture because here's this guy, he's living a life that this story is like, people hate this guy. He hates this guy. I mean, they hate this guy because he's collecting taxes and he's just sitting there. A boring life, and he says, "Come be my disciple." There's a couple of interesting things here, is that Jesus led such an adventurous life that he was willing to go up to somebody that everybody else hated and said, "Be one of my team. Be one of my elders. Be one of my disciples. Be one of the guys I hang out with. Be one of the ones that's going to enter something into the New Testament. Be one of those guys." And he saw it before the guy was ever transformed. And so Jesus has got a story that says, I'm going into places where I'm going to go eat with scum. I'm going to get with everybody else, the people that everybody else hates, I'm going to go hang out with them. Okay, now he's not going to become like them, he's going to transform them because he has a desire to live a bigger story, a better story. And so there's something here, guys, there's a pattern here that we see. Matthew 4.19 says, come follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. He gave these guys a sense of purpose. These guys that were fishermen, yeah, they caught fish and they made money. That was great. But he's calling them out for a greater purpose, which was to reach people. And so he's adding to their story. He's showing them how to become fishers of men, which led them on an amazing journey. In Hebrews chapter 12, and verse 1, it says, Since we are surrounded by such a crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips, uh, trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And because of the joy awaiting him, He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. There was this adventure that he was on, this story that he was living that included a sense of endurance. He was willing to endure hard stuff Because the story he was living was worth it. He had a picture of what was ahead. And he saw that what would happen after he died on the cross, that was going to be a hard thing. He knew it. But he had some joy because he saw the future was going to be something beautiful for you and I. And so he was willing to endure the cross. He was willing to endure all the things that led up to the cross. Why? Because he had a story worth living. That's the story I want. That's the story I want. John 10.10. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. A rich and satisfying life. One translation says life and life more abundantly. What does that mean? I think I have a definition for that. Exceedingly above anything you could ask or think. To go beyond expectations in every area of life, if Jesus died so that you could have life and life more abundantly, exceedingly, abundantly above anything you could ask or think, something that goes beyond in every uh, beyond expectations in every area of life. That includes your marriage, and in your parenting. It goes in in your serving, in your business, that goes in your work, in all the things that you do. As a grandparent, as a great grandparent, there is a, a life and a life more abundantly, something that goes beyond your expectations in every area of your life. Jesus said, I came to give them this kind of life. This is the kind of story we need our kids to see us live. This is the kind of story the people that you are witnessing to need to see you live. A life that goes beyond the expectations in every area of life. A marriage that goes beyond. A vision that goes beyond. A hope that goes beyond. A vacation that goes beyond just sightseeing and eating good meals. A vacation that has some purpose behind it. I remember we used to go... Uh, to Blue Lake every year, and we would, we would be with a bunch of families from, that we knew from church and other areas, and we'd get together, and our kids would come, and we'd go jump off cliffs, and we'd camp in tents, and one year, we brought uh, Taylor, Shelby, and Cameron all brought uh, three uh, friends each, uh, and it was nuts, <laughs> or two friends each, I think it was, two or three, and Noel was one of them. Who invited you, Noel? Taylor? Sneaky little dude, isn't he? Uh, what really happened at night? Up on when you went and looked at the stars? Uh, oh, that's right. The girl slept in the cabin with her. I wasn't saying that. I mean, come on. I was just saying, you know, holding hands, you know that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, poor Taylor. He's turning red. I've never seen him this red before. Uh, but, but anyway. So, but we'd get together, and then at night we'd sing around the campfire. And what we were doing, what were we trying to do? We're trying to show them that fellowship with other Christians can be fun. It can be adventurous. I remember, I remember looking at the 35-foot cliff that we are going to jump off and saying, you know what? This is like faith. Once you drop off, there's no turning back. There's no turning back. It's, but always in all of these little adventures that we took and did, we were, we were determined to live a life that was adventurous. To live a life that that was fun, that was exciting. So that church wasn't a negative thing. It was always a positive thing. And this is why our kids love church. They love it. This is why Taylor wants to build the church. It's because we were living a story that was attractive to them. A life that was abundant. Some of us need to get a better story. Because there's no family vision. There's no family mission. We got to get a mission. We got to get vision. We got to have a commitment. We got to find something that is risky. And we need to engage and have a purpose and a meaning for our lives. And so it's really easy to make your purpose what you're against. Some of us are really against some of the things that are happening in schools. Some of us are really against some of the things that are happening in our city. Some of us are really against what's happening with racism. Some of us are really against all these things. And I understand it. I'm against a lot of things. But if that's your vision, it's not going to be an attractive story. You've got to get a better story. You've got to you go beyond. You see, just being moral isn't getting you anywhere. That just gets you to a flat line, that gets you to zero. It's just that, now being moral and having a life where you set aside the sin, like Hebrews 12 says, you set aside that sin because it holds you back, but that doesn't mean you're going forward. Just because you got rid of the sin, just because you got rid of addiction, just because you got rid of your anger, just because you got rid of your infidelity, just because you got rid of your fornication, just because you got rid of the sins of your past, does not mean you are living an abundant life. It just makes it easier for you to do so, right? It gives you a launching pad to jump from, but you got to get a better story. You got to get one that's attractive to your kids. Where they see that the life of God, the life of a Christian, is one that's full of adventure and life. I remember when uh, I saw those teenagers at, at our church, and I saw that the, the mission wasn't connecting. I thought, you know what? There's no hope for this church and these kids. That's the that was the thought that came to my mind in my immature Christian mind. But there was one thing I knew how to do, and I knew I knew how to party. I just needed to get rid of the sin involved with it. And once I felt like I had gotten rid of that sin that was involved with the party piece, I figured out a way to to party. I figured out and, and to put Jesus at the center of that party and celebrate. And so I would take teenagers up on hiking trips and up into the mountains, and we'd sit around the fire, and we'd talk about the things of God, and kids would give their lives to Jesus, and they'd start speaking in tongues, and all kinds of crazy stuff would happen. We'd go on these hiking trips. It was bizarre. It was amazing. We'd take them down to Guatemala, and we'd sit in around. Uh, this is kind of a classic for me is I love fires. I think I was born, I think I was a pyromaniac in my last life, but because I like to light fires in my backyard and on camping trips and you know, all the things, uh, don't worry, I don't believe in the last life, so anyway, so, but but I just really like to burn stuff, okay, <laughs> and, uh, but what I like about sitting around the fire on these camping trips, and even when I would ride the, the, the freight trains and stuff like that, we'd build these little fires, and we'd sit around, people open up around a fire, so we'd take them up to Salmon Lassac and we'd go jump off the bridge into the river, and Come back at night and light a fire and have a great meal and eat some steaks and some hot dogs and, and anything else that we could consume. And, and we'd sit around that fire and kids would open up and share their stories. And we'd get like 80 kids in there and just out in the woods, not even a campground. We'd just find a place in the woods and we'd set up a whole place. And kids would come alive and share their stories and you'd just weep hearing their stories and we'd pray for them. It's amazing. I remember laying on a balcony with 18 teenagers in El Salvador during one of the civil wars. You could hear missiles going off in the distance. You could see them at night. We'd watch them at night. They were blowing up bridges and telephone poles and stuff like that and laying there knowing that the next day we're going to be at a military base ministering to people with our skits and our dramas and our music and thinking the very people that are defending this country are going to be in those meetings tomorrow. It was a life. It was a better story. It's a better story than what I had before. It was a story that included purpose. You see, adventure without a purpose sometimes just goes flat. You can only travel to so many places. And nobody really cares where you travel to but they do care about the impact that you're making especially when it's in their life so a thought if you add these three things together you can get a better story first ingredient jesus centeredness you got to commit you got to jump off the bridge you got to jump off the cliff you got to you got to make the commitment to Jesus For the better story, you got to start there. When you have that kind of a commitment, when things get going tough, you don't stop. You keep going because you have a better story. When you're following Jesus, you allow him to transform you. You let him to transform you. When you know, when you get a conviction in your heart that you've been angry, You know you should apologize. You know you should ask for forgiveness. You know that you should release the person from their sins. When you know that, you allow God to transform you. And that's the beginning of a good story, but it's not all there is. You have to add something. Add your passion, add your gifting. So you follow Jesus, but you add your gifting and your passion and your resources and the things that are available to you and you add it to your story. And so for me, getting outside and being in, out in the adventurous creation of God was great for hiking. I saw great mountain peaks. I saw great alpine lakes, fished cricks, and caught trout and enjoyed it all, loved it. But when I started doing that so that Jesus could be known to 10 teenagers sitting around a little fire, all of a sudden my hiking thing became more than a hobby. It became a ministry. Some of you have things that you give hours to that if you just tweaked it a little bit, it could be a part of a history-making eternal life proposition. Some of you like to work on cars. What if you took a kid from By Maple Place and showed him? But what would happen then? I look at Jay over here, who's running our financial class, and just thinking, what if, what if, what if some of you grabbed a young man and started inspiring his ability to make money at 16 years old, when his mom is a single mom, and doesn't know what to do financially, and you take that 16-year-old under your arm and say, "Hey, come on, man, well, I can show you how to generate some wealth, so that you can take care of your mom someday." What if we had, what if we added to our gifting and our abilities, a kingdom purpose, man. But then you have to add, to have a better story, you have to add a commitment. You gotta add some sort of risk and endurance. I see so many people willing to throw away everything that they have just because of a problem they faced. Maybe they face a physical challenge or maybe a relational challenge or they, they fit a, a ministry challenge or they, they, they have some sort of just limit financial challenge or something and they don't allow for endurance to have its work in their life. You have to be committed that says, this is worth living for. I'm gonna hold fast because for, as, for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord and this purpose is going to get accomplished. Some of you had visions to do mission trips, but finances cut it out because you didn't endure. You got to commit. And God will always bring the how if you commit to the what. He always will. You have to get creative and you have to work hard and you have to endure the disappointments and the lack of support from some people, but eventually you'll get there if you commit. We need to do that with our Christian life. To have a better story, we got to start being people that are committed. And let's start thinking about a few questions. Let me read these and then we're gonna close. Do you have a life that you feel is rich and satisfying and inspiring to your kids or to your grandkids? Or to the people that you influence if not why don't you pray and ask god to give you a better story show you how to live a better story are you willing to endure hard things to reach a positive end are you willing or are you going to jump as soon as the pressure comes on Have you ever experienced compassion that led you to sacrifice? Have you? Have you ever allowed yourself to feel the needs of the homeless instead of proclaiming how angry you are for the tents that they set up? Have you ever thought about just going down and feeding? Some people, every Thursday night, we're feeding people down down in Kent. You have the opportunity to feel it It'll change your life. Is there any adventure in your life? When was the last time you had a spur-of-the-moment vacation? Or just a date night, for that matter? What? You know? It's a novel idea, isn't it? Let's live a life that our kids say, man, I want to be just like my mom and dad. I I want to have that kind of adventurous life. Do you have a family vision? Do you have a family mission? If not, let's get one. Let's get one. Because being anti-anything isn't life more abundantly. Being a great disciplinarian isn't a good story. Being famous, having money, being an amazing being an amazing physical specimen of a man similar to me um, is, is great. But it isn't a good story. Okay, that hurt. That, that was hurt. But I can endure it. I can endure it because I have a better story. I do have dad strength. You know, I was thinking this. Going to Israel is fun. But sitting in the home of a Palestinian family who just lost their son to an Israeli soldier for sport or in the home of a Jewish family whose daughter was blown up in a bus from a Palestinian terrorist is one of the most heart-wrenching experiences I've ever had but it shaped my story it changed how I look at things and so I'm choosing those kinds of stories I'm choosing those kinds of things for my life and for our congregation because I want our whole congregation to have amazing stories a story of serving Jesus so that the thief doesn't come and still kill, and destroy you. And so that your parents, your kids grow up and say, "Man, my grandpa, my grandma, my mom, my dad—they can tell, make a list of stories that they did in the with the things of God—and they want to teach it to their children." As for me and my house, we're going to have a better story. Will you commit with me? Will you at, at home? commit to allowing Jesus to open up your heart and your mind and your vision for a better story. I pray that you'll do. Would you bow your heads and let me pray for you. In fact, love, would you just stand up to your feet? I just want to bless you. Mm. Oh, God, the greatest thing about you is that wherever we find ourselves, it's a starting point. We don't have to look like we're in a hole. Because we can start from where we're at right now. Thank you for handing us a ladder in this hole so that we can climb out of it. God, we pray that vision would begin to be imparted to every single person in this room right now. Vision for a better story in their life. Making decisions that throw things off kilter a little bit so that new life can come into the home. God, I pray for those that are struggling with physical challenges and mental challenges and 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 struggles with children and struggles with teenagers and all the things Lord I pray God that you would show them how to get the most out of this season of their life so that their story begins to reflect how you walked on the earth today even though there was a difficult time for you Jesus for the joy that was set before you you endured the cross And beautiful things took place as a result. And we're still talking about your story today. And we will be for eternity. And so God, give us the kind of story that grafts into your story, into his story. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. Have a great conversation with somebody. Uh, Our prayer team is going to be up here. Hey, maybe, let me just say this. Some of you need to shift your story like Tina and I did. 40 something years ago, okay? Come have these guys pray with you. They will they will help you put a line in the sand and as for you and your house, you'll see a better story. Amen. God bless you.